You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Tesco, Direct Line, Imperial Brands, Rolls-Royce, PZ Cousins, and our US company of the week is WD40. Sam, shall I kick us off with Tesco? Yes. So, regular on the show, Tesco, the UK's largest retailer with around 27% market share in the UK's grocery market, had their full year results out with sales rising 5.3% to £57.7 billion for the year, ignoring the effects of exchange rates, which reflected a 5.1% increase in like-for-like grocery sales. In the key UK market, retail sales were stronger in the second half as the group's prices increased due to inflation. Revenue was lower than the market expected, however. Underlying operating profit for the group fell 7.1% to £6.6 billion. The higher overall sales were offset by lower volumes, which hurt margins. In-store management changes and the closure of remaining fresh counters in the UK stores also dented profit. The smaller Tesco bank business saw a profit decline compared with last year because of the non-repeat of a provision release after COVID. The lower profits contributed to a £144 million reduction in retail cash flow to £2.1 billion. Net debt was broadly flat at £10.5 billion. For the new financial year, Tesco expects underlying retail profit to be broadly flat. Final dividend of 7.5 pence per share was announced, taking full year payment to 10.9 pence in line with last year. In terms of valuation, Tesco's has a market cap of £20 billion and trades at 12.5 times forward earnings, which is broadly in line with its 10-year average, and it currently yields 4.1%. I thought these results were good, but in a very tough inflationary environment, which is feeding through, as you can see, and we are seeing volumes fall, and it's only so much they can probably raise the prices by. I think Tesco's probably is the strongest in the sector to weather the storm, and it's still a decent dividend play. It's one that I hold in my portfolio and just take the income from. Sam, your thoughts on these results and Tesco's as a whole? I thought the results were fine. I think you've got to give them a bit of slack just because we know the kind of environment they're in. We know, we talk about it every time we cover them, but we know what they did last time in in 2008 or like in the last recession for example where they rose the prices and then they just lost market share to Aldi and Lidl a lot of which never came back so this time they've been much slower to raise the prices and they've raised them by less than inflation so you're obviously going to get worse results as a consequence however I think the strategy is the right one my main concern now would be that with the operating profits starting to drop their debt is now about 4x the operating profits. And that's at the level at which I start to get uncomfortable. I don't think it's it's a serious issue, but I, ideally the debt would be lower or the profits would be higher. So yeah, that, that's the only real concern of mine. As long as it can continue to pay the dividend, though, I agree with what you say. I think it is mainly an income stock. They've tried overseas expansion. It hasn't worked. 
I think we're pretty saturated with Tesco's. I don't really see where they go to actually grow the business. They've tried the hypermarkets. That didn't really work. So I think really you're just getting what you're getting. It's probably going to go up over the long term in line with inflation, but that's why you're getting it at a relatively cheap price, at a forward PE of 12 and a half. So yeah, I think as an income stock, as providing you're happy they can continue to pay that dividend, I think the valuation is reasonable, but I would I would be keeping an eye on the debt. Fair enough. Okay. On to an, another insurer, actually, Direct Line. Yes. So we actually touched on Direct Line slightly last week when we compared the results to Admirals. So, well, we decided to do them in full. So they have come out with their full year results and full year underlying gross written premiums fell 3.2% to 2.97 billion, of which 2.09 billion were own brand policies, which were down 5.5% year on year. The decline reflects reduced motor and home policies, which more than offsets growth in commercial policies. The group's combined operating ratio, which, as we mentioned last week, measures the percentage of premiums that are paid out as claims or expenses. So basically, if you have, well, 100% combined ratio, then everything that you're getting in, you're paying out as claims. So you want it to be below 100%. The combined ratio worsened from 89.5% to 105.8% which is in loss-making territory. And this is also in line with the Admiral results we saw last week, which had also gone over 100%. Operating profit fell 94.6% to 32.1 million. Higher claims inflation, severe weather events, and regulatory reforms were called out as substantial headwinds, which significantly impacted the group's results. 2023 will continue to be affected by macroeconomic uncertainty. And it's also been hit by inflation, which is higher than was initially expected. The solvency ratio, which is a measure of balance sheet strength, decreased from 176 to 147%, driven by lower profits and also losses on investments held. Post-year end, the solvency ratio had improved by 5%. The group does not intend to pay a final dividend and will review the dividend outlook at the half-year mark. It should also be noted that they've got a new CEO coming in. However, currently, they've not been appointed. So we don't know who that is. So you've not got a huge amount of visibility on that. And in terms of why the results are so bad for insurers, apparently poor weather conditions over December meant a material increase in weather-related claims, pushing annual levels to around double typical numbers. Weather also had a knock-on effect to motor claims. When we add in the rising cost of covering insurance claims, possibly because of inflation and the I guess the cars are worth more and also the time for repairs is going to be higher, isn't it? Profitability comes under pressure. In terms of valuation, the business trades at a forward P of 8.3 and that compares to a 10-year average of 11. And the prospective yield for the next 12 months is 8.8%. However, they've already gotten rid of one dividend. so I, I'm And that yield's very high, which suggests that the market's not entirely comfortable it's going to be paid. So I wouldn't buy this expecting to bank an 8%. Dividend. If you want to do that, go and buy a tobacco company. Initial thoughts were, again, same comments as Admiral. It's, it goes in the too hard pile, but we look at it for you, the listeners, anyway. But one thing, I don't know much about the difference insurers. I know it's, well, I think you've got virtually very little way to differentiate yourself. One thing Direct Line does have is it doesn't, it's not on price comparison websites, so it's not paying out to those. So I kind of half expected going into this to see a bit of a difference in the figures compared to Admirals. It looks virtually the same, 
So I'm there's nothing I don't know what I expected, but I kind of thought because they're not on the comparison websites that might feed through into the margins, but it's not doesn't really look any different to any other insurer we've looked at on the show. So yeah, interesting to compare it to Admiral, but it, it goes in the too hard pile anyway. And even if it didn't, these results don't look very good in any case. John, what are your thoughts? Uh, pretty similar and if you were buying either Admiral or Direct Line, it would be as an income stock, and as we see now, they're not offering well. They're not offering a reliable income. No, yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if you got a full eight point eight percent yield out of this in the next year. But I'll be wrong. That's... For now. Speaking of eight well, percent yields, absolutely. So, third income stock in inverted commas of the week is Imperial Brands. We've covered it many times before. It's the UK's second largest tobacco company and owner of brands like Lambert and Butler, JPS Players, and the Blue E-Cigarettes. They had a trading update out last week, with the group set to be on track to meet full-year guidance, and expects the first half operating profits to be broadly flat, ignoring exchange rate movements, reflecting last year's Russian exit and investment in next-generation products. Pricing remains robust, and last year's market share gain in the main combustible markets has been retained, although not improved, with declines in Germany and the UK offset elsewhere. Second half performance is expected to be stronger, with COVID-19 comparisons becoming less relevant and the first half price hikes hitting the top line. Imperial says it's on track to deliver full-year results in line with expectations and prior guidance of low single-digit revenue growth before currency movements, which at the current rates are providing a 6.5% tailwind to earnings. The group also commented that first-half leverage adjusted net debt to EBITDA is expected to improve year-on-year on a 12-month basis. And the group expects the full year leverage to remain at the lower end of between two and two and a half range for net debt to EBITDA. In terms of valuation, Imperial has a market cap of £17 billion and trades at 6.2 times forward earnings compared with a 10 year average of around 10. And it has a prospective dividend yield of 8.1%, which is 2.6 times covered by free cash flow. Again, I thought these Result or this these, uh, this update was pretty much what we've come to expect from the tobacco companies. Certainly, Imperial compared with British American, it's not dominating anywhere like as much as British American is when it comes to the e-cigarettes and the next generation products. And it's previously got burned, ex- exited some of the unprofitable markets already, but. We have said it before that the tobacco stocks, they don't look like they're going to re-rate. They're trading on very depressed valuations. And we know that people don't invest in them for ESG reasons. But in the meantime, they are still churning out a huge amount of cash. I suppose the big question for Imperial Brands is whether they do have more of a future as you're beginning to see with British American in those next generation products. That's a big question. They paid a lot of money for Blue, their e-cigarettes, when they bought it from Reynolds a few years ago, which they're still paying off. I don't know, but it's got a whopping dividend and it's well covered. Sam, 
anything to add on Imperial brands. I just wouldn't buy it because I'd always prefer British American. I think British American has better brands. I also think British American's next generation seems to be doing a lot better. I think that's reflected in this statement because whenever we cover British American, they're always very keen to tell us the growth figure for the next generation products because it's always high. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's going to be 30 or 50% or something like that. Whereas they haven't given us a figure here. And I suspect the reason is because it's not very good. And that, that has been the case in the last few earnings reports we've covered from it. So it's pretty cheap. It's, it's also cheaper than uh, British American, but I think that's because it's a worse business. The yields are probably, it's probably got a better yield too. I think. It's British American about 6%. It's almost bang on. It's, well, why, why would you buy, why would you buy Imperial then? You're getting the same income then from British American and it's, you're getting it from a better business that's probably got more of a future because it's it's got those it seems to have done better in the next generation products so yeah I'd... so they are doing a massive share buyback imperial yeah i can't imagine. yeah but british america might be doing one too but wow. yeah so so that that would increase your effective yield but even still i just don't know why you would want to own this over british american because it's it's clearly the better business so i suppose it, it is more difficult to make the case whether some people are seeing imperial more as a takeover target it seems hard to imagine given how consolidated the market is already but i know some people do talk talk about that and when you think of the big four tobacco companies it's the smallest of the four but i don't know i think that's very speculative it's not it's not a style of investing that i've got any talent apps. <laughs> if i'm looking at two businesses in the same industry i'd prefer to own the better one rather than the one i think someone else might be more likely to buy yeah okay that's fair enough moving on to a quality company rolls royce i think some quality products is probably Ooh, how okay. it. i think this is the first time we've covered rolls royce on the show maybe we've covered it before and forgotten but it's, it's the first yeah, time i maybe remember once before but yeah so for anyone who don't know Rolls-Royce. Well, they are primarily actually a civil aerospace company, despite being better known for the cars. They've come out with their full year results, and in civil aerospace, their full year underlying revenues rose 15.9% to $12.7 billion. Much of the growth came from a recovery in the civil aerospace division, where a 35% improvement in large engine flying hours drove a 26% increase in service revenues. So the reason is because they produce aeroplanes for larger long-haul planes and a large proportion of their revenue comes from servicing the engines, which is based on how many hours those engines spend in the air. It's worth noting as well that although the engine flying hours are up 35%, they're still only at 65% of 2019 levels. So you're probably going to see some pretty good figures for those for the next couple of years as engine time gets back to pre-pandemic levels. Underlying operating profits increased 57.5% to $652 million. Nearly half of this improvement came from a return to profit in civil aerospace. Power systems also made a contribution, but profits in defence were down and losses widened in the new markets division. Free cash flow increased to half a billion from a free cash outflow of $1.5 billion last year. Net debt fell from $5.2 billion to $3.3 billion due to disposals and improved cash flow. Looking to 2023, the group expects underlying operating profit to be in the 
800 million to 1 billion range. Pre cash flow is also expected to land in the 0.6 to 0.8 billion range. The shares jumped 18.3% following the announcement. So, as mentioned, they had disposals in the last year of about 1.5 billion, and that's been used to basically improve the balance sheet, which was completely obliterated in the pandemic. However, they still have a negative equity position, which means if they were to sell everything and then use it to pay off all the debt, they would still owe money at the end. In terms of the valuation, so it's created a P ratio of 77, and this is not a high-growth tech stock, so let's tell you this ratio is useless. In terms of price to sales, it's at forward price to sales of 0.7 compared to a 10-year average of 0.92, and the prospective dividend yield is 0.2 of a percent. I think with that balance sheet, to even have any kind of prospective dividend is outrageous. I think they should be paying off the debt. I think this is a business that really does make some excellent products. However, it has, I mean, obviously, if you're if you getting a lot of revenue from aerospace, you will have done badly in the pandemic, but it's been absolutely obliterated by it. Even if it hadn't been, it's probably not an industry I'd ever want to take a look at. But I, I definitely wouldn't when it looks like this. I actually also had a look at the last five-year results. And you, you can see it dropping off a cliff in the pandemic. So last five years, so this is, uh, it's, done, it's got a December year end. So 2018 results, revenue was 15.7 billion. Then it increased to 16.5. Then in the pandemic year, it dropped to 11.4, then 11.2. And now it's up to 13 and a half. However, in the two years before the pandemic, it still had an operating loss of 800 million. So this... I've not looked into why that is, but this isn't the sign that there's no signs here where it's, you know, it was a fantastic business in any case. And the interest payments it's been paying out have been huge as well. So in 2018, it had an operating loss of 800 million and it paid 2.1 billion of interest. 2019, it had an operating loss of 800 million and it paid 178 million of interest. 2020, operating loss of 2 billion, paid 800 million of interest. 2021 operating profit of 460 million, but it paid 860 million of interest. 2022 operating profit of 789 million, but it paid interest of 2.4 billion. So I think it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly what the problem is. It's got too much debt. So even if I like the industry, even, yeah, there's just so many reasons why I would not touch this business with a barge pole. John, what are your thoughts? I mean, I agree, uninvestable and wouldn't look any further. Right. Well, swiftly moving on. Okay. So, well, one of the better companies then this week, PZ Cousins. We've covered it a few times on the show before. It's a consumer goods company and owns brands like Imperial Leather and Original Source. They had a trading update out for the third quarter last week. So for Q3, like-for-like revenue grew 6.2% in line with year-to-date performance. Europe and the Americas grew revenue strongly with significant improved margins. And there was progress against the strategy to grow their must-win brands, which included launching Morning Fresh into adjacent auto dishwash categories in Australia and Child's Farm also performing well with the recent launch of Slumbertime Innovation. The group are expecting full year 23 adjusted profits before tax to be at least in line with current market estimates. We break it down by region that in Europe and the Americas, there was like for like growth of 9.9% at 49.3 million. 
In Asia Pacific, like flight growth was at 1% at 47.6 million. And in Africa, there was like for like growth of 7.7% with revenue coming in at 68.4 million. They also commented that in Q3 with the like for like revenue growth of 6.2%, primarily driven by price mix movements and reported revenue growth was 13.5%, reflecting the full peer contribution of Child's Farm, which was acquired in March 2022, and that was something that we previously mentioned, as well as a favourable foreign exchange movements. And year-to-date revenue has grown by 6.1% on a like-for-like basis. In Europe and the Americas, performance improved significantly, and there was the strategic focus on innovation and marketing, with particularly strong performances from Saint-Tropez brands in the US and the combined Imperial Leather and Cushions Creations portfolio. Carex revenue declined in Q3, reflecting the reduction in the UK hand hygiene category more broadly, probably something to be expected after COVID. And Child's Farm is performing as expected and is on track for double-digit revenue growth in full year 2023. Asia-Pacific performance has been driven by the strong growth in Australia, reflecting continued successful revenue growth management activity and sustained share gains across their major brands, recently introducing Morning Fresh into the auto dishwash category, leveraging its brand strengths with a 50% share in washing up liquid. And in Indonesia, Cushion's baby revenue declined slightly in line with the category overall, reflecting increased pressure on consumer spending in recent months, as well as some retailers destocking. And Africa trading continues in line with expectations with all the must-win brands in good growth. Strong trading throughout December and January was partly offset by disrupted demand in Nigeria in February due to the banknote changes and the elections. But these disruptions have largely dissipated and they're now seeing a return to more normal demand patterns. And although they remain alert to ongoing external volatility, they continue to expect full year 23 adjusted profit before tax to be at least in line with the current market expectations. And this includes a 3 to 4% benefit compared with 2022 due to the translation of results of their overseas operations. Overall, I thought these results were decent. I don't think they're up there with the top consumer goods brands like or companies i should say like unilever and nestle but they're still decent in terms of valuation piso cousins trades at around 14 times earnings and it has a market cap of 868 million pounds with a yield of just over three percent for me there's not enough of a discount I would go with what I'd argue is one of those higher quality peers, which are also much bigger. But I think they still have, in the case of Unilever, that potential for growth in those emerging markets, which definitely aren't saturated yet. Sam, what are your thoughts on these results from PZ Cousins? Pretty similar. I think this is a very nicely diversified business so in terms of like geographically. 
So Europe and America's revenue is 49.3 million, Asia Pacific 47.6, and Africa's 68.4. So in terms of where the revenue is coming from, I think it does add quite a bit of diversification. I think it's got some decent brands, but I, I agree with you. It's not it's not really hitting the growth figures I'd want to see it hitting for me to think, well, actually, I'm going to buy this over Unilever or Wreck-It Ben Kaiser. Because if I can get those businesses and their brands, or even Kraft Heinz, if I can get those businesses and their brands at similar prices, why would I go with brands that I think mainly are a lower tier? I think the only one, I think Imperial Lever's pretty decent. And then they've got the, um, oh, what's, I always forget what it's called. But they've, they've got like the um, the shower gel, the natural shower gel one. I think that's very that's original the, source. Yeah, that's a very strong brand, actually. I think that's by for me, it's the best brand. But Unilever's got loads of brands that I would rank as highly. So, yeah, it's a decent business. It's putting up some all right results. But I think for me, at the current valuation, it would either have to be putting up much better results or for the results it's putting up, I'd want to see it at a lower valuation if I'm going to buy it over a Unilever. And what's the... Let's have a look. Dividend yields only 3% as well, so I'm getting a lower dividend than Unilever. I don't think the growth's really any better either. I think, you know, Unilever's growth, and last time we looked at it, I think it was about 9%, um, something like that. Yeah. Even, so it's and not it's not even it's not even outgrowing Unilever, despite having a much smaller base. And the shares over the last decade are down about 50%. Unilever's, and this is obviously all that excluding the dividend, Unilever's shares are up about 50-ish percent. And Nestle shares are up about 130%. Yeah. And in that, so Nestle, I think, does, Nestle does have a lower dividend. I think that's like two and a half or something. Mm -hmm. But Unilever, as well as a better share performance, you're getting the better dividend too. So I just don't know. I don't know why you would buy it over Unilever. It's similar to what we were saying about Imperial. I don't know why you'd buy it over British American. So, yeah. Um, not it's an all right business, but something would have to change for me to take a serious look at it. Yeah, but if anyone listening does have more of a bull case for it, I'd be very interested to hear it. Because you're looking for another consumer goods company in your portfolio. Well, I, I, no, I'm, I'm not. Oh, I've got well, pretty much all of them apart from Nestle. Um, so no, I, I'm I'm not. But I, I I'm genuinely interested to, to hear it. Um, because it, it doesn't seem to be reflected as much in the valuation, and that, that that's what I struggle with. So maybe there's something that we are missing. It usually is. <laughs> should, we, uh, <laughs> should we move on to WD40? Yeah, okay. It's so, an easy business to understand. Absolutely. So WD40, I'm sure most adults have come across the products. It's the very useful oil thing that... I I'm I pretty much exclusively use it to get rid of squeaks. I don't I'm sure it does lots of other stuff too, but for me it gets rid of squeaks and hinges. They actually have lots of other brands on the website. However, I don't know any of these other brands. So the other brands but I don't do a huge amount of DIY or anything like that. They've got three in one, GT eighty five, one thousand and one, Lava, Spotshot, Solvol, Novak, X fourteen, two thousand flushes, and carpet fresh. WD-40 is the only one that I've ever used knowingly. So I think despite their efforts, I 
I'm not classing this as a very diversified company, certainly in terms of brand recognition. So they have come out with their Q2 results and total net sales for the second quarter, and all these figures will be in dollars, by the way, were relatively constant at $130.2 million compared to $130 million in the prior year. Year to date, total net sales were two hundred fifty five million, a decrease of four percent from the prior year. On a constancy currency basis, net sales would have been one hundred thirty five point seven million for the second quarter and two hundred seventy for the year to date. So it's it's still not that different to the prior year. Net income of the second quarter was sixteen and a half million, a decrease of fifteen percent from the prior year. Year to date, net income was thirty point five million, which is a decrease of twenty percent from the prior year. Diluted earnings per share were $1.21 compared to $1.41 in the prior year, and year-to-date were $2.23 compared to $2.75. Gross margin was 50.8% compared to 50.4% in the prior year, and year-to-date gross margin was 51.1% compared to 50.6% in the prior year. Selling general and admin expenses were up 8% for the quarter and 6% for the half. Advertising and sales promotion expenses were up 7% for the quarter and 1% for the half. And then in terms of sales by segment, the Americas accounted for, so of their 130 million in sales, the Americas was 62.8 million. Europe, Middle East and Africa was 46.8 and Asia Pacific is 20.4. So Americas was up 15%, Europe, Middle East and Africa down 13% and Asia Pacific is down 4%. So that's fairly nicely diversified, actually. So as total as a percentage of net sales, 48% of revenue comes from the Americas, 36% from Europe, Middle East and Africa, and Asia Pacific is 16%. And in terms of sales by product group, of their 130 million, 122 million comes from maintenance products and 8 million comes from home care and cleaning products. If we then go and look at the longer term results. So in terms of revenue, from 2007 and 2022, it's increased revenue per share from $18 to $37.96. So it's more than doubled it in a 15-year period. Uh, And the earnings have more than doubled. So they've gone from $1.85 to $4.93 a share. And the dividends have tripled from $0.97 to $3 a share. However, the margins have got better over the period too. Return on capital's got better. It's at about 20% now. However, this business trades at a P ratio of 41, and that compares to a forward P of 33. If I'm paying those kinds of numbers, I expect it to be growing a lot more than it has over those 15 years. It's been a steady grower, and over a long time period, that has that has made a difference. But it's yeah, it's just thirty three forward PE is just too much, and it's got a dividend yield of one point seven three percent. Interestingly, if you look at the average annual PE ratio, so it's currently at forty one at the minute, thirty three forward. Fifteen years ago, the average annual PE ratio was only nineteen, and it drops as low as sixteen in twenty ten. 
And then it steadily climbed ever since then. It got to a high in 2021. The average annual P ratio was 50. And I just, this is a clearly a very good business, very good product. But when you look at the figures it's putting up, who's paying 50 times earnings for this and thinking they're going to get like, oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. So over the last 10 years, revenue's grown on average 4% a year and earnings have grown 6.6% and dividends 9%. So I think this is a very good business. Probably not as diversified as I'd like. Maybe someone who knows their DIY and cleaning products better will actually be like will actually say, No, they've got some fantastic brands in there, you just don't know them. But for me, I, I only recognise WD forty and I I just think it's so expensive for what you're getting as well, which is probably just reflective of the fact that it's an American business. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? I think the results definitely a bit disappointing. The valuation, I think it's eye wateringly expensive. Very strong brands, and I'd probably argue some of the the rest of the portfolio as well. I wouldn't pay. I, I, I just I couldn't come up, you know, conceive of paying that much for a, a business like WD Forty. I don't think it delivered is delivered on the growth either. So it wouldn't be one for me for those reasons. Right. Well, of the six businesses we've got this week. We've had Tesco, Direct Line, Imperial Brands, Rolls-Royce, PZ Cousins, and WD-40. If you had to buy one, which one would it be? Probably Tesco's. That's unimportant. Um, I'd probably go with Tesco's too. Yeah. It's not not a fantastic choice this week. No, it's, it's more won it by the fact that there's nothing <laughs> obviously wrong with it. Because <laughs> I... I've, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably have Imperial... Actually, no, Imperial Brands and Pizza Cousins are all right, but there's not. it's not a strong lineup, is it? No, no, definitely um, not. And the one you definitely wouldn't have would be Rolls-Royce, I think. Or would it be Direct Line? No, it'd be no, Rolls-Royce. Rolls, Direct Line, I just don't... It's had a bad year, but I don't really understand it, so I don't know if it's a bad business or not. Whereas with Rolls-Royce, I know it's a bad business. <laughs> <laughs> so there's I'd a, rather there's have a chance. There's a chance yeah. of direct line. Yeah, it might, it might be a fantastic Fine. business. I just can't tell. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Well, on that on that um, note, we'll uh, we'll end it there. Thank All you right. again for listening, and see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at tiwtweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.